Man, that's rough. Okay, so we've got one problem, but there's another. You can be reading Swedenborg, and the material is great and uplifting. People of all faiths can get to heaven. God is love. But then you run into this. That is why we say that we are born into utter evil and that what we inherit is nothing but evil. What? What's that? I know things seem pretty bleak right now, but I think there's a way that we could actually solve both of these problems at once. It's going to take a little Latin, a look at the hemispheres of the brain, and a quick peek at the nature of the relationship between the finite and the infinite. If things pull together right, and I've got a good feeling about it, we may finally be able to answer the question, are our spiritual cereal bowls upside down? Stay tuned. Suspense. Welcome to Swedenborgian life, everybody. We got these like significant problems, and uh, how are we going to solve them? You know, that's what we're up against here. Hey, that was my preemptive. Uh, my my lower third ushered me in here. My name is Curtis Childs, and there there I am. That that's me, and I am going to be your host. The show is Swedenborgian life. This is where we take the recorded spiritual experiences of Manuel Swedenborg, we put them alongside life, and see. Is one going to help us with the other and, and vice versa? And today we've got uh, a significant subject to dig into that you really got to get at if you're going to get anywhere in Swedenborg. It's a little confusing, as they all are. Uh, so if you have questions or comments, feel free to get those things in uh, wherever you are, Facebook, YouTube, and we'll pull them up. At the end of the show, we have our Q&A period. So we're doing this show today because this the concept that we're going to get at, the self versus the connection to God, independence versus oneness with the divine, plus this whole evil and are we good or are we evil, that, that's, a, that's one of the hardest basic Swedenborg concepts. Like This is something you're going to run into if you try to get more into the material, and yet it's hard to wrap your mind around, and also it has a potentially huge payoff, because Swedenborg seems to be saying, if we can master this concept and get it as to be part of our, our day-to-day worldview, this is the key to freedom. So why wouldn't we want that? I'm going to try to give you at least some pieces of it tonight, and we're going to begin with part one. If you read Swedenborg, and we've talked about it on this channel before too, there is this idea that all good comes from heaven and all evil comes from hell. But... If that is the case, Swedenborg says it is, you'll have other people saying that we are affected by the spirit world. Essentially, Swedenborg had this, this duality, that there are, there are two general sources of the, the things that show up in the human psyche, and that, that have, just what you would think, heaven and hell. Heaven is the source of everything good. Hell is the source of everything evil, almost like those little angels and devils on the shoulders. But if that's true. Let's just take him at his word. If that's true, then how do we have, if we're, how do we have any freedom? How are we something independent that can make decisions and choose up or down if we're, we're constantly being impinged upon by these forces? We're going to explain that, hopefully, we're going we're to try. I'll see how I feel about it by the end of the show, but we're going to go at it tonight, and to start that conversation we have to introduce you to the main character, and this character is named Proprium. One crucial distinction, we're talking about 
self versus identity, meaning what, something that feels like us versus what we identify with. And that's going to become more clear what we're talking about there. For now, instead of using the word self, we're going to use this word proprium. Because self has all kinds of baggage if we're told we're supposed to love ourselves or not love ourselves. It brings all this stuff up. But proprium, I don't know about you, but I don't have a lot of attachments with that word. The only catch with this word is that it's going to make these people very frustrated. Uh, These are the nice people at the New Century Edition translations of Swedenborg's work. They worked hard translating Swedenborg and working to get away from all of these Latin words that he used and put them in modern English. However, because we want something no one has associations with, we're going back to some older translations here that use that word, Uh, but you know, this is a cutthroat business. Uh, You're going to make some enemies, and (laughs) we made some here, but let's remember the happier times, because Jonathan who you saw right here, uh, he gave a great explanation in an earlier show of ours what the proprium is. When Swedenborg uses that Latin word, what is the concept he's talking about? So I'm going to let him begin to lay out the parameters of the proprium, and then we'll go from there. Intellectual selfhood is an expression that translators have used to translate the Latin word proprium, Some people who are seasoned readers of Swedenborg are familiar with the older translations have seen that word actually in the translations because former translations used to leave it in the Latin because it was considered untranslatable. It is related to our word property. And I don't know if you've read some of Oliver Sacks' books or or have found out about this, but there's something called proprioception, which is your sense that your body is your own. There are people who sometimes after they go through neurological impairment, you know, they wake up from surgery and they keep falling out of bed and the nurse realizes they're taking their own leg and throwing it out of bed because they no longer have the sense that their leg is their own. They, this horrible, someone horrible person as a prank put this leg in the bed and you throw it out. That gives you some sense of what proprium means. Proprioception is the f- sense that your leg is your own. Your proprium is the sense that you are your own person, that your thoughts are your own, your feelings are your own. It's kind of a basic idea. I mean, we all feel that way. Uh, And yet Swedenborg wants to be able to say certain things about that because he says that in a certain way, that's an illusion. The idea that your thoughts, the ideas that your, your feelings are your own is somewhat illusory because actually they flow in from outside of you. Your intellectual selfhood, then, is your sense of ownership of your own ideas, like your own construct. You know, there are some people in this world who have, are, are very convinced of their own view of reality. And no, I, you know, your, your own construct, that's what Swedenborg might refer to as your intellectual selfhood. So there's a beginning intro to the program. If you don't got, feel like you got it cold now, don't worry about it. We're going to spend a lot of time building up our concept of that. But he did touch on the major stuff that we need to start with, both what the proprium is, sort of our sense of ownership of the things 
inside of us, but also that he touched on that actually that's semi or more than semi illusory because you have stuff coming in from outside. That's a great place to start. But as we go, we're going to be pulling in ideas about the program. So to organize them, we just got this new tool for organizing stuff. It's a basket. I'm going to like actually pull stuff about the program. We're going to take it put it in here so that we can look at everything we know once we get through these numbers. And as it just so happens, working through the numbers that we need to get through to talk about the subject for this section, finite and free, tell us a lot about the program as well. So look at that, man. We baked all those things together for you. You're welcome. Uh, So let's start by looking at True Christianity 470, because our first principle we have to lay out in in, in navigating this divine versus human paradigm is that we are finite. Human beings are finite. All things that have been created are intrinsically finite. As for the human spirit, however, that too has been created from things that are finite. What is the human spirit but a vessel for the life that the mind possesses? First of all, even though this isn't talking specifically about the program, it's talking about us as a whole, so the qualities that apply to us as a whole apply to the program, which we're getting to. So those are the two things we've got to remember, finite and vessel. And actually, it's going to be hard to just remember stuff. I I think I'm actually going to just take those words out of there and, and put them in this basket here. So let me just get at these things here. All right, there we go. So put them in there. We'll start to get kind of a little a catalog of those. All right. But he goes on, actually, in that same number, TC470, to talk about how we are not just vessels, but a vessel is is sort of an old-school word that could either mean like a bowl or basket or something, but also like a blood vessel, something that can receive liquid or other things. He says that just like those things receive, we receive life, and he describes it a little more here. There is a generally held belief that there is life in us, that it belongs to us, and that therefore we are not only vessels for receiving life, but we ourselves are life. This common belief derives from the way things appear to be, because we are alive, that is, we sense, think, speak, and act completely as if we had autonomy. Therefore, the statement that we are not life, but are vessels for receiving life, cannot help but seem like something completely unheard of before, or like a paradox that goes against our sense-oriented thinking, because it goes against the way things appear to be. It is unreasonable to think that the infinite could create anything other than what is finite, and that human beings, because they are finite, are anything other than forms that the infinite is able to bring to life from the life he has within himself. Because God is infinite, He is life in itself. This life is not something He can create and then transfer into a human being. That would make the human being God. I like how Swedenborg says that all life is coming out of God, the life that's in all of us right now. This is God putting that into us, but he acknowledges that's not how it feels. I mean, it doesn't feel at all like you're living from some other source. It feels like you're, whatever that means, living from yourself. It's just that I, yeah, I'm, I get up in the morning because of something inside me, and I go do this. I, I don't sense any sort of inflow or influx or anything like that. So at least he gives that a nod, but he does say, we're plugged into this pipe, you know, this, this divine pipe that gives us life as we go. However, 
It doesn't seem like that pipe is there, and that's by design. And actually, you'll see reference to this dynamic in the Bible if you look at it through Swedenborg's correspondence lens, and this is apparent in Genesis 2.24. And these correspondences that I'm going to... it's going to seem like I'm just fabricating these out of thin air, but he's consistent about these things standing for these things. You can go read his Secrets of Heaven or Arcana Celestia series to get way more info than you'd ever want on that. But it says here, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. According to Swedenborg, the father and mother, this is not talking about mom and pop, it's talking about divine love and divine wisdom. But we leave and cleave to our wives, all of us, male and female. What that means is you have um, this sense of independence or this sense of autonomy is the wife, that we go and leave this direct feeling of input from God to this feeling like we live on our own. And that's actually part of the divine design, because we couldn't unite to God without this sense of selfhood. It's a basic principle of love that you can't enter into a loving relationship with someone else if that person isn't free to accept or reject on their own power. So if we didn't feel like we could make these choices autonomously, uh, it would be like God is just forcing us to love God, and then that's not love. You can't get love without freedom. We have to be free. And we've talked about this before. We actually did two shows about the essential nature of the freedom dynamic. And then some people might say, ah, that's, that's annoying. People always say free will, but we say free will. Yeah, we do. And these two episodes both have extensive period, or pieces in them on why freedom is not just like butter on top of the human consciousness toast. It's, it's the, the whole, it's the toaster, it's the bread, it's everything. It's a great metaphor. <laughs> there is, there is, has to be freedom for us to be conscious, autonomous individuals. So you got that freedom in there, and that's fine. God is working with that. It creates this sense of separateness, though. Because of it, we don't feel like we are connected to God in the way we do, because we felt that we wouldn't be able to have any latitude to move around freely. We do have a form, though, that is built to receive this life, and we can learn a little about the structure of it from what Swedenborg reported. This is True Christianity 471. What is life except the inmost activity of the love and wisdom that come from God and are God? It could also be called the living force itself. Surely no one does deny or could deny that everything good that relates to love and everything true that relates to wisdom comes solely from God. Well, you do find people that deny that, but not to be argumentative. To the extent that we receive those qualities from God, we are alive from God and are called born of God, that is, regenerated. And that's an interesting twist on it, that we can actually become more and more alive, spiritually speaking, by how much we recognize this connection we have with God and how much we turn and open to it. Section one is in the bag. What we needed to establish here was introduce the character of the program. We're building up a little description of it here. And we needed to, to lay out how all of us people are finite and we are free, and that this requires a sense of separateness, to be those two things, that we have to be finite, and to be free, we have to have this sense of separateness. So what is this free self, though, if we're actually receiving life itself from God, and why does it feel like us? And why, do, why don't we all wake up and, oh, I'm, I'm God too? So what, what is this separation? Well, in case you want to know, we got it all in part two.
It's a beautiful title, The Birth of a Proprium. <laughs> so we, we won't explain the proprium, uh, but when we get into talking about the proprium or the self, you will find, as we fairly showed in the intro, there are harsh words that Swedenborg has sometimes about the nature of us or the nature of our selfhood, and it sounds a little bit like you know, everything people don't like about religious stuff, that we have, we are evil, We what we make is nothing but evil, and that can bring up in people, rightfully so, a lot of shame, a lot of, uh, and they feel antagonized and devalued and debased by these concepts of we're nothing but evil, original sin, those kinds of things. We, what I'm going to try to promise to you the best I can is that we're not saying that. That when you actually, when you dig into what Swedenborg is saying here, it's a completely different concept and one that I think is pretty uplifting and pretty freeing. Uh, you know, you can reserve your own judgment on that. But on the way there, things are going to seem a little shamey for a while. I ordered this thing uh, I'm on, on online that actually lets me measure your sh- your shame at home as kind of like a, a fail-safe to make sure we don't get too heavily into that. But it didn't get here in time for the show. Um, so we're not going to be able to use it. Um, oh, what's that? Hello? Yeah, I'm in the middle of a... Oh, this is... Oh, dude, this is it. This is the package right here. We've done, like, some pretty good jokes so far this episode. All right, let's open it up. Let's see what we got here. Ah, yeah. The shame-o-meter, or shameometer, as some people would pronounce it. This this is going to measure everybody's, yours and my shame as we watch this episode to make sure it doesn't get too high. As you can see right now, it's like, it's chilling at the base level, a little bit of shame that we all walk through life with for whatever reason. So, but we're there and that's an acceptable level and we're going to keep, I'll I'll be checking back on, on this thing as we move through. So we should all be okay. Let's move on from that to, we're talking about the proprium. We have to first go back to this concept that the the Lord is the source of life, and we're going to go to one of Swedenborg's more obscure books here. It's called Invitation to the New Church, Uh, and this is number 23 out of that. From the Lord's perpetual presence, we have the faculty of thinking, understanding, and willing. These faculties are solely from the influx of life from the Lord. Not only is life as sort of an amorphous concept the Lord's in us, our, our ability to think and, and rationalize, those kinds of, those are God's abilities that He is give, perpetually lending to us. So how with that level of intimacy, how could we possibly still be free? Secrets of, or, Secrets of Heaven, Arcana Celestia. Arcana Celestia is the old translation of secrets of heaven. I know, it's confusing, and eh, such is life. That which is animated by the Lord in us is the very thing which makes it seem as though it were from ourselves. That we do not live from ourselves is an eternal truth, yet if we did not appear to do so, we could not possibly live at all. Two things. One, it's weird. It's a weird concept, but we gotta, like, try to get some kind of brain wrapped around it if we're going to get anywhere in Swedenborg, and if Swedenborg is right, get anywhere into this freedom from everything that's dragging us down in life. Also, it's interesting that there he said that's the very thing in us that's activated by life from the Lord that makes it feel like we are living independently, that that is built into our system intentionally, so we're supposed to feel like we live on our own. It's not something we need to get rid of. And at this point, if you haven't already turned off 
this show, you're probably about to because you're saying is there, he's just saying all this stuff. He's just, Swedenborg is just saying we live from God and it's all this weird stuff. There's no way to confirm this stuff. There's no way we could have some a modern you know neuroscientist look at it and and prove in some kind of way that it was happening. You just can't do that. So it's all speculation. Well, wrong. Uh, well, I, I, that's maybe a little bit um, getting a little optimistic to say we have a scientists studying it. However, there's a very interesting correlation from a woman named Jill Bolte-Taylor. If you haven't heard that, you've probably heard the name of her book, which is called My Stroke of Insight. Or maybe you saw her TED Talk. That was good. Um, And what she, what happened to her, if you haven't seen it or haven't read it, is that essentially she had a stroke and because she had this background in neuroscience and knew what was going on with the brain, she was able to, while she was having it, kind of think from her neuroscience background and, oh, this is what's happening to my brain right now. This is what's happening to my brain right now. So when she came back, she was able to tell these amazing things about it. And from that, she uh, she pulled out, we're not going to get to go into the whole thing. I would, I would spend some time, if I were you, checking it out if you haven't already. But she came away with these insights about the right and left brain because she was able to know when her right brain was activated, when her left brain was activated, and tell when she had kind of toggled between the two. So here's what she found about the right and left brain. Uh, The right brain perception, when she was in this state during her stroke, when the left brain was shutting down, it was fluid. She felt like she was connected to everything. She felt tranquil, free, and safe. She felt blessed and euphoric. She felt at one with the universe, part of all knowingness, only the present moment, no sense of time. She was relaxed and unrushed, enormous and expansive, perfect, whole, and beautiful. She had a childlike curiosity. This is self-reported. This is what she said. Then she found when she was in her left brain perception, she was it was solid and safe separate from other things, a self in relationship with the surrounding world and individual life and story, knowledge of language and numbers. She could evaluate and analyze. She could recognize relationships between things. She could make a plan and execute it. She could define and conduct outer life, and she could combine facts and draw things. So there, I think, you have a very close correlation with this dynamic that Swedenborg is reporting, that when her left brain side or her proprium was shut off, she felt this connection with God. She felt like she was one with everything. She was safe. She was euphoric. It was amazing, right? There there was this expansiveness to her. And when when the left brain came in, uh, that was kind of cut off. Now, you may be, you, we may get some letters from like the left brain society saying, what are you demonizing the left brain? No, as you'll see later, without the left brain, she had some serious problems, and those weigh, weigh in on our, or those are important to our theological discussion here. But we'll leave that at that for now. I'm just saying, it seems like without her obviously endorsing Swedenborg or having read it probably, there's a pretty good chance of that. Um, she was reporting a phenomenon that's like this with proprium, not with the proprium. So with that, please, can we can we read a little more Swedenborg without you guys going anywhere? All right, this is Divine Providence 316, because if we feel like life ri- arises within us, if we have this sense of self, there's something that happens based on that. The reason our own prudence convinces and assures us that everything good and true comes from us and is within us is that our own prudence is simply our cognitive sense of identity flowing from our self-love, which is our emotional sense of identity. 
Our sense of autonomy inevitably lays claim to everything. It cannot rise above this. Whenever we are being led by the Lord's divine providence, though, we are lifted out of our sense of autonomy and see that everything good and true comes from the Lord. We even see as well that whatever is in us from the Lord always belongs to the Lord and is never ours. So there's actually a state that you can get to where you see the reality of this. And there's a lot of description in there of the proprium. Um, You can see all this stuff. These are all facets of this uh, proprium, and and these are actually in the Latin you'd find that that word floating around in there. So I think we got to put all that stuff in our basket, so let me grab this here. There it is. All right. It fell on the ground in between here and there. Somehow that works. Uh, Okay, so we got that in our basket. Um, And then he goes on further to describe the phenomenon. This is Arcana Celestia 9348. Self-love and love of the world are born together within a person. These are the source of what the person feels as the delight of his life right from when he is first born. Indeed, the life that is his comes from them. And here's where things are going to start to get more intense, because he talks about self-love and love of the world. We've explained those a number of times on the show. Those essentially mean the love of controlling and the love of gratification, okay? Um, And so if those two things are are part of the proprium, we might as well... Oh, it fell over here on the table. Okay, we better put those in there as well. Um, So uh, it's going to get rough here. It's going to get really rough, because this is where he begins to, to weigh in on what he thinks of our proprium, or our, our sense of autonomy, and its moral character. Buckle your seatbelt. This is Divine Providence 2.15. He probably isn't going to be that harsh on it, actually. Our sense of self-importance is wholly evil. Ah, oh, bummer. That is why we say that we are born into utter evil, and that what we inherit is nothing but evil. What we inherit is the sense of self that encompasses us and that we participate in by virtue of our self-love, especially by our love of being in control because of our self-love. So there you see the distinction. It's not like self-love like, oh, I can contribute to the group. It's self-love meaning I want domination. That's not quite like you'd find in like a self-help book, self-love. This is because when we are focused, when we are wrapped up in this love, we are totally focused on ourselves and therefore immerse our thoughts and feelings in our own sense of self-importance. And so he gets kind of harsh. He says that it's nothing but evil. Uh, And there's a couple of terms in here we want to actually, there's like 40,000 terms that we want to grab in here. So let's, I'm going to use both hands here. Oh, all right. Whoa, there's all of them right here. Um, <laughs> so we got that in the basket. Um, he's getting harsh, but listen, it's not just him on a crusade. We, going back to the my stroke of insight, what Jill Bolte-Taylor found was that there were pros and cons to each side of the brain, and you'll see that, that there, there's a little bit of a reflection of this. The sense of separateness leads to negativity. So here's what she found out about that. Um, the right, being just, and you might think we should just be in this connected right brain God side, but now that had drawbacks, man. Uh, she said she c- couldn't feel a relationship with someone because it was just all one. There was not enough boundary. She couldn't create structure or plan. She couldn't analyze or discern. She can't understand words or numbers. She can't carry out tasks. Like, she was trying to um, 
call 911, but she couldn't figure out how to dial the phone. But the left brain's drawbacks, when she was in that, it felt small and alone. It believed it was separate from others. It criticizes and judges self and others. It can draw conclusions that aren't true. On its own, it can be mean, worried, stubborn, arrogant, sarcastic, jealous, hold a grudge, lie, seek revenge. So there is there's independent corroboration that this sense of self has a negative bent to it when separated. And keep that in mind because that's key. And remember, you guys ever seen Lord of the Rings? There's there's a guy, if you haven't, there's a wizard, his name is Gandalf the Wizard, and there is a little hobbit that has the ring, the one ring. You guys have seen Lord of the Rings. Gandalf says, I'm not trying to rob you when he wants to take the ring. We're not trying to rob you here. We're not trying to give you something that's going to harm you by cutting you down. In the end, we're trying to help you out. So just trust us through the show. Let's just take a look at what we've got here in our basket, um, because we've pretty much compiled everything about the program. Oh, I I better set this all in order here. This could take a second. Let me do this as fast as I can here. Uh, Let's see. This goes here. I just want to do it in the same order. We got it. Sorry, I I hurt my elbow, so I'm a little slow. There we go. Uh, Our sense of self, our proprium is finite. It's a vessel. It's our own prudence. It's our cognitive sense of identity. It's our emotional sense of identity. It's our sense of autonomy. It's our self-love. It's our love of the world. It's our sense of self-importance. It's holy evil. It's utter evil. It's nothing but evil. That's, that's the three most brutal things you can say. The sense. It's our sense of self. It's our self-love. It's our love of being in control. It's our own self, sense of self-importance. All right. That's what our independent selfhood is as according as as described by Emanuel Swedenborg. So that's a little bit shamey if anything is actually let's take a reading on the shameometer see where we're at here uh with all that stuff and yeah that's no good. Man that's that's going to be lawsuits if we don't get this thing down if we, if we introduce this much shame. So how do we get out of this? Well, we got half a show left to do it and I want to start that half of the show by going to there's a dude who's a buddy of mine, and I've learned a lot from his name is Peter Rhodes. You've probably seen him on this show before. He's an author of a couple of awesome books that that, that deal with this same phenomenon. And you can see he's talking here about some techniques that he's found to not, we talked at the beginning about how there's the self, but there's what we identify with, how to not identify with this part of ourself, this negative part that is, as Swedenborg is saying, holy evil. Many people today would call it the ego. How do we step away from that? And you can see, this is just, I just like this little clip because you can see that he's done a lot of work with this as a practical thing, and how he describes it here is this is how you take this concept uh, and you make it something that affects your moment-to-moment interactions. And he has this technique of calling the proprium, or this negative sense of self, it, instead of calling it yourself. And he mentions in the very beginning this guy named Gurdjieff, who is this philosopher, great stuff, he kind of hybridized it with Swedenborg uh, to, to create this very potent set of tools. So here's Peter talking a little bit about how we can distance ourselves from it. Gurdjieff used objective, non-critical observation. So usually we're very subjectively involved with our own thoughts and our own feelings. Uh, for most of my life, including up to recently, I thought what I thought was very important and the way I felt was very important. And if I thought it, it was probably right. And if someone else thought differently, they were probably wrong. 
And if I had a feeling about the elections or something, those feelings are probably based on reality, the totality of everything there is to be known, because I checked everything I knew. So if someone feels differently, they must be either stupid or not well informed. <clears throat> when you start to observe your own thoughts and own feelings, you start to find that they are not yours. I don't even know how to, I would make up a thought or a feeling. And Swedenborg says they actually flow into you from places in the spiritual world. But if you identify yourself with them, Gurdjieff called it signing the check, you know. <clears throat> if you identify with it, uh, even Swedenborg says, you start to make them as if they're your own. But he created, God created a rational, a place from which you can objectively start to observe yourself. And then rather than just take, oh, I have this thought and this feeling, this person's stupid because they're voting for so-and-so, you look at, oh, I'm having that thought that this person's making a mistake. That's just a thought. And I'm feeling irritated. Oh, that's a feeling. Based on what? I don't know very much about politics. They actually know more about politics. So you start to question the thoughts and the feelings that come in, and you start to see there's a whole set of feelings and thoughts and affections centered on you being this body with this brain and these opinions and these ideas. You formed a sense of self. I would call it the egotistical sense of self. That's very important, and that's the uh, standard by which you judge other people. And you start to see it has a life, and that spiritual work is start to separate from that because it's very selfish, very self-centered, egotistical. Uh, it's basically it's crazy. I mean, sweet work says it's hell, which it is. Love is self, love is the world, and you start to observe it. And when you start to pay attention to it, you start to see, I don't know where that thought came in. You know, someone walks into the coffee shop, and I have this negative thought. I don't have to identify this negative thought with that person, and I don't have to identify myself with this negative thought. I can start to say, yeah, it dislikes this person because, you know, they dress in a certain way. I don't dislike this person. My egotistical sense of self has these thoughts and these feelings. This is the bondage of self that the recovery programs talk about, the liberty from the bondage of self that I may better do God's will. Oh. This is the self that I don't want to be attached to. I don't want to justify it. I don't want to rationalize it. I don't want to support it. I certainly don't want to act on it, especially in a marriage. If you act on the thoughts and feelings that are flowing into you when you're not getting your way, you're not going to have a marriage very long. So you start to separate from that. Now, that would be impossible if there were not somewhere to move. So when you say in the word, thy will not mine be done, it means there must be a place in you where God's will can inflow, where you can start to see from that will and experience from that will rather than your own will. And that's what makes you be able to love your neighbor as much as yourself even more. And that's what can love even your enemy. So it's that will that we want to move towards. And that's what lay down your life for your friend. I will take out from you a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And all these movements are away from what we used to think we were. We're not natural. We're not just a natural with a brain. We're a spiritual being in a finited form that receives it. But the idea is that we are that form and we are that brain and we have to make that the brightest and the best and the biggest and most successful or go into shame or embarrassment. We started to be freed from that. We don't have to take our life personally anymore. 
there's an impersonal way of living that allows more real love to flow through to through you and where you truly can love others and do for others and find that's what happiness is about. So calling it it is just starting that process is yeah, it's really angry. But I'm am I angry? And you start to answer that question, I don't know. I don't know that I am angry. It really is. And it wants me to think that I'm it. Uh, it wants to act through me, as in hell, so upon the earth, as in heaven, so upon it. It wants to manifest through my words and bring hell into my relationship. Uh, but I don't want that. And there is a will within me that can keep me from having to identify myself with those self-centered, inconsiderate feelings and thoughts. So it's a long description, but the simple form is, yeah, it's a jerk. It sounds pretty reasonable. I mean, to me. When it's put like that, oh, yeah, that's something I would be happy to not identify with. You get this first negative reaction to someone instead of, oh, that that's getting me going. Oh, that, oh it's really mad about that. I, I think that's, that's potent. And it seems a little less like self-condemning and more like, oh, yeah, this is a part that needs to be just called out for what it is if we're going to be free from constantly being egged on by it to do destructive things in our own lives. In case this has spurred your interest in the program and you want to learn more about what Swedenborg says, but you want to read the new translations, I wonder what segment of the population fits all those criteria. You can find it because Swedenborg describes a lot of different phenomena with this word proprium. Depending on where it is, you'll see a lot of different phrases used to translate it uh, based on context in the New Century Edition. Here's a couple in case you're trying to wade through those. And this also gives us more insight into what this thing is. Our own, what is one's own, self, selfishness, ego, our personality, autonomy, character, native character, inherent character, inherent nature, native self, property, sense of autonomy, autonomous selfhood, intellectual selfhood, self, sense of self. I almost got it there. Uh, that That is, all those things have to do with proprium, and some of those things are not as bad as others, and we're going to see going forward, it's, it's more shades of gray. It's not as simple as there's an evil part of you. Actually, there's no no part of you that you need to get rid of. It's just about things in their proper order. If that uh, doesn't um, convince you that it's worth learning about the proprium, no, this this may sway you. Knowing about what the proprium is and the nature of evil and the self and all this will endear you to the spirits from other planets. <laughs> Arcana Celestia 10808. This he begins this passage from this very, very high up number, almost near the end of this series. He says, The spirits whom I talked to then were from the northern part of their planet. Huh? Their spirit, not, we're not just going to, you're not just tuning into this show to hear about experiences of talking to spirits, but these are exo-spirits from, from other planets. Yeah, man. Yeah, that is, that is what you're doing on Monday night. After that, I was taken to others who were from the western part. Swedenborg just, he says he, he met, they, they're all like people, but not everybody's from Earth. These having a similar wish to find out who I was and what I was like, immediately began to say that I was thoroughly evil. They thought, if they said this, that I would be deterred from coming any nearer. I sensed that this was the first thing they said to all newcomers, but I was led to reply that I was fully aware of it, 
and that they likewise, they likewise were thoroughly evil, since everyone is born into evil, and therefore whatever comes from man, spirit, or angel, that is, from the self or proprium, is nothing but evil. For any good that resides with a person comes from the Lord. He's like, I know you are, but what am I? From this they realized that I was in possession of the truth, so they allowed me to talk to them. So even angels, even from the selfhood of an angel, they demonstrated to me then their conception of how the evil present in a person and good received from the Lord are kept apart. They set the two next to each other, almost touching, but nevertheless separated. Yet they were seemingly bound together in an indescribable way so that the good could lead evil and check it, preventing it from acting however it liked so that good could thereby direct evil towards what good desired, though evil would not know it. This was how they presented the rule of good over evil, and at the same time, the free state in which evil is led by good towards good, thus towards the Lord. For from their picture of good, they had a picture of the Lord, since good comes from Him. It's not the story of we found an evil part of ourselves, distance ourselves from it, then destroy it and attack it, or even shame it. It, The evil and good, the good can lead the evil to be... participating in order more and more, but you have to recognize that it is what it is and separate the two first. And you might be thinking, well, wouldn't it be nice if we could just kick that whole thing out of us, if we got rid of this proprium, negative sense of identity, and just all chilled out in this connected state all the time? But that would be a big missed opportunity, because according to Swedenborg, you cannot become an angel without appropriate, uh, that actually the outer mo- the, all angels had to be born at one point in the physical universe because you gotta have this proprium, you gotta have this negative thing as an external outermost level of yourself, and that this is this this facet of order, that you have an outermost level that is coarser and more confusing and combative than these inner spiritual levels, is present all over the place, not just in people. Swedenborg says it's actually present in the Bible. You know, how before we pulled out this quote from Genesis, and I talked to you about what the internal meaning was, Swedenborg says that the internal meaning of the the Bible rests on its external level in the same way that the external, the stories in in the Bible of all this fighting and killing and all that, that's like the proprium uh, of the Bible. So here is an old episode that we did where we described this a little further. The sequential arrangement is like a column with steps from top to bottom, while the simultaneous arrangement is like a composite object that forms a series of concentric circles that radiate from its center to its outer surfaces. Now for the word. What is heavenly, what is spiritual, and what is earthly emanate from the Lord sequentially, and they exist on the last level in a simultaneous arrangement. This means that now the heavenly and spiritual meanings of the word are together within its earthly meaning. Once this is grasped, we can see how the earthly meaning of the word, which is its literal meaning, is the foundation, container, and support of its spiritual and heavenly meanings, and how divine goodness and divine truth are present in their fullness, holiness, and power in the literal meaning of the word. The internal, the the higher, the spiritual things are most fully present in the external. This is the way that the divine works. Swedenborg says, God always goes from the highest things where he is, instead of going down through 
through the middle, he goes to the outermost level first, and that's how he works up through. So in us, from from the good the the best things, he educates our outer level. That's where we can make changes. That's where we can actually begin our acceptance of it. It's through this proprium. And for a metaphor, uh, they, think about springtime. It's springtime in in much of the world at this point. About half of it probably. Um, and what you have is let's pretend you're a kid and you had a, no real understanding of how things worked, and you looked up, and the sun seems like it's up in the sky, and you look at the trees, and the trees, they're very tall, so they're, in theory, closer to the sun. So as things warm up, you'd think the trees, they would get warmer first, so they'd burst into leaves first, and then finally it would make its way down to the earth, right? But it's the opposite, that it's the things on the ground that spring up first, and then it's the trees that gain their leaves, and Swedenborg goes into a lot of detail about how the things of nature are reflective of the things inside a person's heart and mind, so that is a picture of the same process. In case that metaphor didn't do it for you, all right, that's, you drive a hard bargain, but let's, let's do it with bubbles, right? I'm gonna, this is a little play here. The air is God's divine love and wisdom in this metaphor. So this, all this air that's around, you can't even see it, but it's there. That's God's divine love and wisdom. These bubbles are your conscious experience. This bubble solution is your conscious experience. Now, if we wanted to have, as we said in the beginning of this show, that we experience God's life, which is God's love and wisdom, like it's our own, we can't get this air into this bubble solution. If I just pour this out on the table... Uh, it would make a mess, and you wouldn't get air inside there. You just get this stuff spreading out on the table. You can't do it how it is unless you have your proprium. This is like the proprium. It's like funny shaped. It's, I don't know if you can see in the camera. It's got these little spikes in it. Uh, it's solid. It's angular. It's definitely not all like liquid and together like your conscious experience. But if your conscious experience is lived through the lens of the proprium, if you have your mind and heart develop within this sort of limited space here, if you if that is part of your conscious experience, then with this shape, the air can come in. Oh man. There we go. Come on. Oh yeah. There. What do you got there? That is conscious experience wrapped around the air. That's God's life within your heart and mind. Right? Okay. That that's the best we got. If if you won't listen to me in bubbles, perhaps Swedenborg can convince you. And he actually goes a little farther in this to say that you might think this is the proprium is always going to be something that you've got to drag around behind you, but even angels have a proprium. And the proprium, as I said, it's shades of gray. It doesn't always stay this negative thing we've got to work around. It actually can ascend on its own. This is from Arcana Celestia 141. Countless things can be said about the proprium. With the bodily-minded and worldly man, the proprium is his all. He is unaware of anything else but the proprium. And, as has been stated, if he were to lose his proprium, he would think he was dying. With the spiritual man, the proprium takes on a similar appearance, 
For although he knows that the Lord is the life of all, and that he confers wisdom and intelligence, and consequently the ability to think and act, it is more a matter of something he says, and not so much something he believes. The celestial man, however, acknowledges that the Lord is the life of all, who confers the ability to think and act, because he perceives that this is so. Nor does he ever desire the proprium. Nevertheless, even though he does not desire it, the Lord grants him a proprium, which is joined to him with a complete perception of what is good and true, and with complete happiness. Angels possess a proprium such as this, and at the same time, utmost peace and tranquility, for their proprium has within it things that are the Lord's, who is governing their proprium, that is, governing them by means of their proprium. This proprium is utterly heavenly, whereas the proprium of the bodily-minded man is hellish. Did you catch that? Angels don't even want the proprium, meaning they don't even want to feel separate. They want to feel like they're completely interdependent with God and, and connected to everyone. But God says, no, I'm, I'm going to actually give you this sense of autonomy. And through that, the greatest happiness is communicated. That's why there is this sense of autonomy in the first place, because through that, you can, you can be the happiest a conscious being can be, and you can experience the deepest unions. It's actually an, an asset once we ri rise up from, there's this initial level where it's, you, where it's backwards and it's all we can see ruins life, then there's, it's sort of neutral. But if we get to that place where we're looking up and acknowledging God, then it's, it's the best thing that you can have. I mean, it's, it's an essential part of the heaven experience. So don't you want to get in that alignment? Well, we, we made a section about how we can move in that direction, and it's called Becoming a Vessel, and we're going to go to it right now. That was an adventure. Uh, it will seem seamless to those of you who watch this afterwards, but we just lost the web in this building and had to like run into the basement and call Verizon. And we're back. Thanks for those of you who hung around. Thanks. Pretend it never happened. We just got done with part two where we were talking about all this stuff having to do with the proprium. We came out of it hopefully feeling a little bit better, but we don't know for sure unless we check the shamometer or the shame ometer. So how are we doing here after that stuff? Have we gone down at all? Extreme to moderate to mild? Okay, we're all right, but we're still a bit in the yellow there. We need to get back down to green, and we're going to do that for you. However, we're going to have to take a couple of steps backwards before we can go forwards, because we're going to look now at the proprium as being what Swedenborg calls hereditary evil or inherited evil, which I know sounds evil, and maybe it is. This is True Christianity 400. Moreover, so far as anyone is in heavenly love, which consists in loving useful service and good deeds, and in experiencing heartfelt delight in their performance, he is led by the Lord, because this is the love in which the Lord himself is and which flows from him. On the other hand, so far as anyone is in the love of self, he is led by himself, that is, by his proprium, which is nothing but evil, for it is his hereditary evil, which consists in loving self in preference to God and the world in preference 
to heaven. And he goes on, says something similar in TC 405, the proprium in itself is hereditary evil. That's pretty straightforward, and it's diametrically opposed to the love of heaven. But what is hereditary evil? Well, let's, uh, let's pull up a picture, because that always makes things go down smoother. So this is an image of hereditary evil. You see a couple generations here. We have great-grandparents, grandparents, parents. It's not just those from which we get our evil. It's all their great-grandparents and before and before generations back into the history of the human race. Everybody who does, who makes evil things a part of their spirit, passes that on to us. That's what Swedenborg says. Just like we have genetics passed on to us by previous generations, only these spiritual genetics are affected by how we live. And those essentially load all that history of negativity in the human race. Good stuff too, but the negativity accumulates as well. Gives us this inborn propensity to love of the world and love of self when we're born. However, a life of faith and charity can dispel. It's not, it doesn't force us to do these evil things. It just gives us sort of a tendency toward them. But if we live in a certain way, we can actually push back against this hereditary evil. And this is not, I mean, that sounds serious, inherited evil, hereditary evil. But if you, if you look at kids, yeah, we're born with some, some annoying tendencies. I mean, that you, children are normally, uh, they can be quite nice, but they will also just start to slap each other and take each other's toys and, hey, he did this to me, she did this to me first. Uh, power struggles, you know, you get to two, two three-year-olds, they, they want to try to rule as much as possible, and that's fine. It's kind of cute in kids, right? But, but it happens, and, and it happens pretty much universally, except... Uh, except I wasn't really like that when I was a kid. I sort of have, um, I am more like uh, evolved, like I'm spiritual. Uh, you guys can probably Wrong tell. Clip. What, what clip? What are you talking Many about? Many years ago, when Curtis was six, almost seven years old, one day I was taking care of him and his younger sister. And it was very nice. I was sitting in an armchair reading a book, and they were playing on the floor beside me. And as I read, there was this happy play talk behind me. It was a nice background for my reading. And this went on for some time. And then suddenly a fight broke out. And there was yelling, there was hitting, and there was a tug of war over a toy. And so I stepped in and calmed things down. And then a little later, I spoke to Curtis, and I said, Curtis, have have you noticed that when you are sharing and being nice to your sister, that you have fun, and that when you're selfish and mean to each other, it's not so much fun? Have you ever noticed that? And Curtis paused to think, and then he answered, and he said, I've heard you say that, but I haven't noticed. Oh, right. Um, so maybe there is that. Uh, I better check my own shameometer here. Yeah, that's not so good. So listen, maybe I did have a hereditary evil. I had tendencies towards enjoying conflict with my siblings. What am I going to do? Uh, actually, it's not that big a deal. Uh, I'm not to blame for that. No kid is to blame for their tendencies. These, what Swedenborg is saying is stuff is born into us, and even as we grow up, 
we can have these negative tendencies, but it's about what we choose to identify with. And we don't have to choose to identify with these negative things in us, even if they're present. This is Arcana Celestia 2308. No one ever suffers punishment in the other life on account of hereditary evil, because it's not his, and therefore he's not to blame for being of such a nature. But everyone suffers on account of the actual evil, which is his own. Pause to say, punishment in the other life. We did a show called The Good Thing About Hell. It's not just like you get clubbed for everything you did bad. There's, there's more complexity, and it's, it's okay. And consequently, for so much of the hereditary evil as he is appropriated to himself by actual life. Look at that word, appropriated. What's inside that word, man? Take some of these letters out the side. It's the same root, propria, as proprium. So appropriation is through living something, through living these tendencies towards hereditary evil, we make that a part of yourself, the self being the proprium. Now, we don't need to worry too much about the proprium being there, though. It's just there. That's just a part of how it is. And actually, when you're a kid, you have to have the proprium. If you didn't have it, uh, you'd be in trouble. That's, and it is good to tell kids to boost kids' self-esteem. You know, that's kind of common knowledge is you've got to give kids good self-esteem, which is essentially, you know, boosting the ego in them. But you need that when you're little. And Swedenborg even comments on that. This is Arcana Celestia 4563. He says, by the Lord's mercy, we never incur guilt before inherited evil, only for actual evil, and inherited evil cannot become actual evil until we act on our own views and intentions, so until we grow up. That is why the Lord leads little children by means of other little, uh, other children and angels sent from him. Little ones accordingly seem to live in a state of innocence, but inherited evil still lurks in everything that they do. Just meaning, you know, there, there's some selfishness there. This evil serves to nourish them but it resembles a nursemaid only till they come into their judgment. Meaning you have little kids who, they, they get a kick out of being the best and being first, and that's fine. At their age, there's, a, there's some of that in there. Some of that is healthy. I mean, some of that you have, to, you have to feel good about yourself. When we grow, we need to try to grow out of that. If they then go through rebirth, the Lord leads them gradually to a stage of second childhood, eventually to heavenly wisdom. So he brings them into true childhood or innocence, since this resides in wisdom. The difference is that... Childhood innocence lies on the surface and has the inherited evil on the inside, but wisdom's innocence lies inside and leaves actual and inherited evil on the surface. This discussion and many previous remarks show that inherited evil more or less nourishes us from infancy up to our second childhood. So it's, it's got to be there. It's actually performing a good function, and it is an essential part of the human being, meaning the, the combination of, of spirit and, and body, and, you know, the mind, the heart, everything that's in there, you have to have this, and an analogy for it would be a piece of pottery, you know, you have to have this, the proprium is this hard outer layer to it, like we said, where we can be vessels, you've got to have that. In our life, we are letting that be shaped, and the kind of uh, pot it becomes depends on how we live. You need a strong proprium or a strong outer layer to become a vessel to receive the Lord. It's just about proper alignment. If the proprium is on the outside and the good stuff from the Lord is on the inside, that's what we need. Otherwise, you got your bowl upside down, which we will get to in a minute. A strong sense of self is essential for developing who we are. Then we use our identity to serve the higher good. And actually, our sense of self gets better the closer we get to the Lord, which is interesting because you would think the closer you get to the Lord, the less you feel like yourself. But Swedenborg actually says that angels feel more and more like they are their own person, even though they know 
they live from the Lord. And they, and that doesn't go away, that sense of being someone. It might for a little while, you probably would have a lot of euphoric kind of experiences, but overall, life is lived as, hey, I'm, I'm this particular piece, and I'm very connected, but because of this sense of autonomy, I can participate in this particular way. So how how do we do that? How do we get it so that the proprium, or the sense of self, goes from being a liability that leads to conflict within ourselves, conflict with other people, misery? How do we get it to be an asset that actually makes us very, very happy and able to serve the human race? Well, I'm glad you asked, and we got a little guide that we put together in part four. How do you do you live with the proprium or do you evil with the proprium? Pretty amazing setup for us there. If you'll recall back to the beginning of the show, we had this scenario happening. Cereal bowl upside down causing all kinds of milk and cereal anguish. And I know that's pretty like you're probably wondering how is that going to turn out you're going to see in this section. But we first have to lay down a few more principles about the proprium so that we can all get ourselves out of that situation spiritually. First of all, like we were saying, the proprium doesn't go away. We're not looking to eradicate it. This is True Christianity 491. It says, the Lord flows into every one of us with spiritual heat, which is essentially the goodness of love, and spiritual light, which is essentially the truth of wisdom. How open we are to these qualities depends on which way we are turned, either toward God or toward ourselves. If you have a bowl that's facing up, it can catch your cereal. If the bowl is facing down, it's not gonna, it's not gonna go very well. And one of the ways, so how do we turn upwards? We have to form an identity apart from it. Like Peter Rhodes was saying before, when when that outer self is triggered or negative, we say, "Oh, it's feeling this way." There, there's a it's it's a part of us, but it's not the whole us. We can observe it and feel a sense of distance and the ability to discern when am I going to to step in and say, "All right, you, you know, I, I'm the boss here. You are my proprium," rather than just letting the proprium run everything. And Swedenborg got to experience being in the proprium and being out of the proprium. This is Spiritual Experiences 5464. It is essential of man where his self-love or proprium resides, so far as he can be drawn up or elevated out of that, as to the thoughts toward interior, so far he can be led away from his proprium. It was granted me, me to perceive that when I was in the proprium and when not in the proprium, when in the proprium I was fit for nothing. Wherefore, I was let out of it by the Lord as far as that could be done. So you can be, still be you. Swedenborg can still be Swedenborg and yet be out of this sense of a negative sense of identity. So all this stuff Swedenborg is saying about how it's nothing but evil, it's holy and utterly evil. He's not saying you as a person are. He's saying this particular part of us is harmful and that we can be pulled out of it. Not that it's gone, but that we are no longer fully identifying it. And the Lord, says Swedenborg, wants to be able to, through that, give us good and truth. And this is Arcana Celestia 6206. There's a certain arrangement that God wants because God can work with that. To take the subject further, it should be recognized that all evil flows in from hell and all good from the Lord by way of heaven, which we said earlier. The reason, however, why evil becomes a person's own is that he believes and convinces himself that he thinks and practices it all by himself. In this way, he makes it his own. 
But if it believed what is really so, which is that all evil is from hell, it would not be evil but good from the Lord that became his own. For if he believed what is really so, he would think the instant evil flowed in, that it came from the evil spirits present with him, and since that was what he thought, the angels could ward that evil off and repel it. Do you guys get that? Does that make sense? That might not make sense. Actually, I don't even know if I'm doing a very good job uh, on this show right now. I don't know if I'm really communicating this uh, clearly. It just seems like everything is a mess, and actually everything in the world is a mess. Actually, um, you know, wait a second. That's got to be from hell, right? All all good is from heaven. All evil is from hell. That negativity's got to be from hell, right? That's That's not originating in me. That's not the truth. That is from hell. Ah, yeah, and as soon as I said that... Heaven, oh, there you go, hell, sorry about that. Heaven can flow in and push that evil away because whatever we think is our own, like when, when I get those thoughts and feelings from hell, those neg- that negative stuff, if I think, oh, this is, this is me thinking this and this is right, essentially, spiritually, I'm grabbing onto it. I'm making it my own. And I cannot, you cannot, uh, when you're grabbing onto something, be freed from it. God can't force you to do things. He can't if your hand is grabbing onto it spiritually, he can't pry open your fingers. But as soon as we detach our sense of personal, personal uh, sense of personality in that hell stuff, then heaven can get in there and push it out. And that's that's the nature of the freedom this whole concept presents. That's why we want to tell it to you is because this can lead to an easy way to detach from the things that that make us all miserable. And one way to detach is to figure out in everything, are we being led by the Lord or by hell through the proprium, by it? Uh, and Swedenborg comments on how we can tell the difference in heaven and hell 558. To the extent that we are engaged in heavenly love, which is loving constructive and worthwhile activities and being moved by heartfelt pleasure when we provide them to our church, our country, the human community and our fellow citizens, we are being led by the Lord because this is the love He is in and the love that comes from Him. To be led by oneself is to be led by one's proprium and man's proprium is nothing but evil. For man's inherited evil is loving self more than God, and the world more than heaven. Whenever man looks to himself in the good that he does, he is let into his proprium, that is, into his inherited evils. For he then looks from goods to himself, and not from himself to goods, and therefore he presents an image of himself in his goods, and not an image of the divine. It's the purpose. It's all about the purpose. What? Why are we doing the thing? That's the soul of it. So we can be led to do the same actions by the proprium, in which the focus in the thing is yourself and your own uh, reputation, glorification, or it can be the Lord, which is the same thing as love to the whole human race. And in that way, we can face, we can still be as of our own self doing these things, but it's got a different soul to it. So it has a different effect on us, and it begins to form us into this kind of vessel. And going back to Jill Bolte-Taylor, the, the stroke of insight lady, she had to, she had a couple of insights from her experience uh, that, that led to what you could call spiritual growth for her. And so this is a quote from her book. 
So she's wondering, would it be possible for me to recover my perception of myself, where I exist as a single solid, separate from the whole, without recovering the cells associated with my egotism, intense desire to be argumentative, need to be right, or fear of separation and death? Could I retain my newfound sense of connection with the universe in the presence of my left hemisphere's individuality? So could you have this sense of the proprium, but not all the negativity that goes with it? So she went on to say, Uh, My goal during this process of recovery has been not only to find a healthy balance between the functional abilities of my two hemispheres, but also to have more say about which character dominates my perspective at any given moment. And that's exactly what we're talking about. Which character dominates the perspective? Is it the proprium or is it the Lord? And the Lord in us is, is you feel, you already feel the Lord in you. When you feel like you want to do something for the good, it will do for someone. When you have genuine love that is not self-serving at its core, when you actually care about how somebody else feels, that's the choice, that, that we can go after that. And actually, this, this, this choice that uh, Joe Bolte-Taylor was facing between do, do I let the, the ego rule or the connected love side rule, that is actually represented in one of the most famous stories in any spiritual tradition. I'm talking about the Garden of Eden story and the two trees that were placed there initially. And Swedenborg says that this is the symbolism of it. Um, we have some, uh, some images that will illustrate this. So we've got the Garden of Eden, and Swedenborg says that was a symbol of this heavenly or original uh, human state of understanding. This is sort of the starting point. It's a picture of the mind, and the tree within it is a human being, okay? Now, we find different kinds of trees which symbolize different choices for human beings. Swedenborg, this is from True Christianity, he says, "'Who cannot see, even from a great distance, that Jehovah would not have placed two trees in the garden, one of which was a stumbling block, if doing so did not have some spiritual significance?' And you may have wondered, if you, if you ever meditated on that story, why did, why did God put the, the knowledge of good and evil tree there in the first place? Why not just have the tree of life?' And there's a reason, because this whole story is symbolic of this great choice we have between the proprium and the life uh, from love. So the tree of life means that we have the Lord in us, we are in the Lord, we live from God, we attribute all goodness of love and truth of wisdom to God, we receive heaven. That's the paradise state. That's what we're trying to get to that actually provides a superior life in all ways to the one we have now. It even lets you feel more like a separate individual. The alternative is the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which means we are not in the Lord, but in our own sense of autonomy. We believe we do everything, even what is good on our own, and we believe the appearance, and that that is, that's the highest good. It's up to us to choose, do we, do we go after the fruit of the tree of life or of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? And that's, that's what's before all of us today. And just in case you want to try to choose the tree of life, but you think, and I can't do that. You can. It's not that hard. And if you don't want to take my word for it, uh, how about Swedenborg? He says in True Christianity 484, and this is one of the few times when he calls us his friends, so listen up. But my friend, abstain from evil and do what is good, and believe in the Lord with your whole heart and your whole soul, and the Lord will love you and give you love for what you do and faith for what you believe. So he'll give us the ability to love what we do and have faith in what we believe. Then you will do what is good because of love, and you will believe because because you have faith, which is confidence. And if you persevere like this, a reciprocal partnership with the Lord will develop and become permanent. This is salvation itself, 
and eternal life. And if that, if that seems too ethereal, salvation, even eternal life, let's put it in concrete terms. If we do this, it will fix the cereal bowl. This is what it looks like to go from living with the proprium upside down to the proprium right side up. That's what we're trying to do for you. We are not trying to rob you. We are trying to get you happily eating your cereal. You see the frustration, the mess that's caused by the upside down bowl. That's like that's all the negative stuff in life that comes from all of us living with our proprium uh, misdeployed. We are just trying to get it so that we can figure out a way to use the mind as it was intended, and reap the benefits of that. Not trying to call anybody evil, not trying to give anyone a sense of shame, not trying to devalue anyone's worth. It's not that we're less because of our connection to God, we're more because of it, because we can serve a greater purpose. We actually are, we are individuals, and we are unique. Uh, it's the same thing, but unique in the function that we can perform, and in, in the way that we can love and understand the truth. Swedenborg says no two people are alike, but what we can look forward to is bringing our uniqueness and using that to serve the whole, which, although that might not sound that exciting right now, according to Swedenborg and many others, it's the greatest feeling you can have, and that that feeling can lead to lasting, permanent happiness, and it's a much better deal than just slogging away with that proprium. So how does that sound? Is that does that feel like we're, we're a little bit less shame drivers? Uh, now let's check it out. I, better, I bought this thing, might as well use it. We got, yeah, back in the green. A little bit of shame, but that's the ambient noise of life. So glad that we came back down. Uh, hopefully this is reading you correctly and this makes some kind of sense. So appreciate it. Shame on you if you don't like and subscribe to this video. That's a stupid thing to say, but I said it. Please do. That helps us get the video out. Really appreciate it. Um, we are going to do a couple of questions. Thanks to everyone who stayed on the stream, even though uh, we had that drop. But first, I want to say a couple things. Oh, our 100th episode. We've been talking about it. Three simple ways to love everyone. That's our title. We are going to look at the angelic mindset and how we can get practical tools to 
think more functionally or more uh, socially, more altruistically, more compassionately about people, and we'll hopefully have some pretty potent ways to do that. You should come. You saw the the date and the place. If you're in the you know Philadelphia area. Come check it out. You can come to the thing live, or you can just watch the stream at the regular time, but this is the first time we've, we've shot it in front of a live audience, so please do that. And if you want everything to keep going, please make a donation. We're going to show you our usual donation clip and then get to questions. But this is how the show keeps going because people are willing to support, so please consider, and, and here's some more on why. We want the ideas and insights we cover to be available for free to anyone, anytime they need them. That's why we offer Swedenborg's books as free downloads on Swedenborg.com, and we produce this show and other content on our Off the Left Eye YouTube channel with no paywall or ads. The only way to keep this up, though, is for those of you who like what we're doing and feel comfortable giving to give. If the idea of helping others have easy access to the content we produce feels meaningful to you, please consider supporting this cause with a donation. Give if you can, receive if you need. If we cycle through this way, in the end, everybody wins. Like I said, thanks for, for staying late, everybody. Um, <clears throat> we're just going to do four questions tonight because we went late because of the technical problems. But... I'll make a deal with you at the end of those four questions that hopefully will do you well. Okay, let's take a look at the first one. Sam, were we always created to die even during the golden age where they had the ability to just perceive things? Did human beings always die? According to Swedenborg, yes. Physical death, yes, because the physical body was always just meant to be like the husk on a seed that falls away so the seed can grow. We were meant, we're meant to live in the spiritual world. The spiritual world is, is where it happens, is what we are going for this whole time. Just like this is, as I've said before, just this stage of life in the physical world is just like a womb to the next stage. So even when things were perfect, people were still moving on from this, this physical world. It's not meant to be our permanent stopping place, or that's according to Swedenborg. Anyway, okay, let's look at the next one. Zeke. Why does God make everything so hard to figure out? Why all the mysteries and parables and metaphoric stories? Why not simply tell us what he wants? There, It's a great question, and the answer Swedenborg gives is complexity and history, essentially, that it used to be like that. In this the earliest stage of humankind, you would get direct revelation, you could read the correspondences and everything, so it, like everything that's confusing that we're telling you now was intuitive then. We were born into knowledge of this kind of stuff. Like animals have instinct, we had instinct for the things of, of truth and good. But when when evil was invited in, that destroys the channels of information. Just like it's a great metaphor, this show, we had our internet go out because that machine wasn't working right. It takes a complex machine to get the web into somewhere, and if any of the parts aren't working, it doesn't work. Similarly, in the divine design, if we've shut our minds off... God can't just say things directly to us, which is maybe not the most satisfying answer, but there's more to it. Um, I would say, you know, our show, Why Bad Things Happen, and has someone, we also did a program that's called Why Don't Our Loved Ones Communicate With Us More, where we go into more detail on that. So thanks. Um, hopefully that's, that's something useful. So let's take a look at the next one. Super Anonymous 2015. Does Swedenborg ever touch on reading the Bible for your own interpretation? He says, we did a, an episode called What the Bible Is, and in there we describe there's this temple with an angel with a sword in its hand, and the sword is pointing, like waving around like this, and he says that that symbolizes that the, the external sense of the word 
what you would read, can be pointed in any direction as long as it leads to good. And what I take that to mean is that, yes, you can get your... If, if you're getting inspiration that this is a meaning of this, you don't need to like go discount that and look up, what does Swedenborg say? Oh, it's actually this. There is, uh, you know, there is unique content in there that I think each person could get. Swedenborg says the layers of meaning in the word, there's so much going on there that, yes, uh, you can get your own interpretation. He actually says, just approach it. It depends on the mindset. If you approach it with, I want to learn so that I can become better and, and serve the human race, that inspiration, that, that connection can come. So I think, yeah, definitely. Okay, last one. Jeannie, does Swedenborg have particular spiritual teachings, specific teachings on spiritual warfare? Yes. They all sort of boil down to shun evil, do what's good. However, we did a series of videos that that approaches that topic. The first one is called How to Deal with Evil Spirits. The next one is called How to Free Your Mind from Hell. And the one after that is called The Lies Evil Spirits Tell Us. Not just to shovel you off to those shows, but really that's a, that's a complicated topic, and that's where we really dig into that. In, in short, you know, the more you can believe that God exists and that that life comes from God, like we're talking about, the less vulnerable you are to uh, negativity or, or evil or hell or all that stuff. Uh, so that's something to work on. And the more you live from love, the more you do things that are loving, the less approachable you are. But but there's a lot of nuance to that, so that I say, please watch those shows. If, if, if you could stand to make it all the way through this show, why, why not do a couple more? All right, so that's our questions for tonight. But next week... We're doing an entire hour of nothing but question and answer. We're doing our, our questions panel. We'll be back, um, and we're going to have a special guest, uh, Dr. Dan Sinisfet, will be on there, which is going to be great. So we, if we didn't get to your questions tonight, we'll try to get to them then, and you can show up then and ask your questions live to the panel. Uh, very much appreciate everybody hanging out, hanging in there, and I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something that you can use to, to step a little bit back from this it, from this program that causes all these problems. And, and hopefully that gives you some breathing room and, and lets in something good. Uh, appreciate it, and uh, we'll, we'll see you next week, same time.